If you're trying to make any kind of meaningful, effective change in your life, well, you have come to the right place because that is what my expert guests and I are here to help you do. Welcome to We're Talking Shift. This is the podcast where all we do is talk shift because when we're stuck and need to rise to a challenge, make a health shift, a relationship or an emotional shift, well, the first thing we have to shift, my friends, is our thinking. That is the antidote to feeling stuck. I'm Lori Bischoff, and I'm so glad you're here. Now, let's get busy. Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another episode of We're Talking Shift. Today's episode is going to be focused on the thing that is up for everyone on the planet. I know what you're probably thinking, please God, no, no more talk about viruses to mask or not mask, to stay in or to go out, to get injections or not. I get it, I really do, it's a lot. It's been a lot for quite a while now. And I, I think that since, well, since the onset of this whole thing, most of us, well, I mean, most of us aren't doctors and scientists, so we've been very willing to to trust and and play along by the new rules um, while the experts figured this thing out. But now, a year later, well, a lot of us, not everybody, but a lot of us, and I think that number is growing by the hour, um, we're no longer willing to buy what's being sold. And um, that's because there there seems to be some some glaringly obvious things that don't add up. There's like a big, fat, gaping black hole that, well, in my humble opinion, needs to be filled with some honest, factual, hard science information, much of which like seems to already exist, but mysteriously seems to be, I don't know, overlooked, ignored, disregarded. So there's that. Today, you're going to hear some things that you may not have heard before. I just ask that you be open and willing to listen so that you can make the most informed decisions about your health uh, for you and your family and then how to best manage it. I, for one, have questions that I have not heard acceptable answers to, except by my guest today. So I am delighted that he has agreed to spend some time with us to shed some bright, honest light on this situation. So let me just tell you a little bit about Dr. Tom Cowan. He is a well-known longtime holistic physician, although he is recently retired. Although we're seeing a lot of him lately, so hold that thought. Uh, he's an author, a speaker with a common sense, holistic approach to health and wellness, which is why I'm very excited about this. Over the last three decades, he has helped countless people heal through diet and natural medicines. Five of his six books spent time on the Amazon and or Barnes and Noble bestseller lists and each was ranked number one in their respective categories. His most recent book, The Contagion Myth, which he co-authored with Sally Fallon Morell, is not available on Amazon because it has been banned. Maybe I'll ask him about that, although his other books are there. Uh, you can, however, get The Contagion Myth on several other sources. I got mine on Barnes & Noble, heads up, because I know a bunch of you are going to want to go out and get it after you listen to this. So without further ado, welcome, Dr. Cowan. Thank you. Thank you for having me on your show. 
I am delighted that you are here. And as I mentioned earlier, I know that you are in high demand these days. So I'm super appreciative that we get to have you for maybe for an hour. Okay. I'm going to, I think I'm going to kick this off uh, by stealing the very first sentence of chapter one in your book, which is let's get right to the nitty gritty of the issue, which is clearly contagion. Um, and nobody, for you listeners, nobody's denying uh, that people are getting sick. Clearly, people are getting sick all across the globe. So my my question is, as a lot of people's, is is why and how? Um, so so okay, Tom, <laughs> I feel I feel like after reading your book. Um, I learned so much. I, I got a massive, in fact, I've, I've started round two. I'm reading it again. And I'm going to hold it up again. Um, uh, the whole thing almost is highlighted and um, post-it noted all over the place. It's, it's fascinating. My eyes have been opened. And it seems as though, here's, here's what I want to start with. It seems as though all of the pandemics in recorded history of all of them, not one was ever proven to be caused by a contagious virus. So I guess maybe the best place to start would be just a little overview on germ theory so that people can understand what the premise is based on for everything that's going on. So, yeah, I mean, the, the really the place to start with all this is um, I mean, we could talk about germ theory in general, or we could go, I think it would probably be better to go into uh, viral theory in particular, since that's more germane, and then we can talk about okay. bacteria as well. Perfect. But the real question that uh, any doctor, scientist, or uh, otherwise known as a human being should ask is, how does somebody know that a new virus A exists and causes disease? That's really the central question here. Mm -hmm. Now, if you ask 99% of the sort of lay population, and I would say 95 plus percent of medical doctors and scientists, they would say things like, well, a lot of people got sick in China and then Northern Italy and then a bunch of people got sick at San Quentin and then my Aunt Bessie went to church and then she got sick and I was sick and then my friend was sick and we danced together and they give you all these kind of things. Now, the reality is those are called epidemiological observations. And the role of epidemiology in science and medicine is not to prove causation, but it's to generate hypotheses as to what might be the problem. Mm. And the, the reason I say that is because if somebody thinks that if a lot of people get sick in the same place, it must be a virus, mm -hmm. which is what I hear a lot, then apparently you think that Hiroshima was a virus because a lot of people got sick. And as far as I know, that was not a virus. Right. And then some people say, well, something spreads from one place to another. Therefore, that's proof it's a virus. Uh, so you must think that Chernobyl was a virus because it spread all over Eastern Europe. Mm. Uh, and that was clearly not a virus. The other thing is that science and medicine has been mistaken about this many, many times in the past. So, for instance, for hundreds of years, 
we noticed that sailors got sick on ships one after another. And they said there must be something spreading and contagious. And eventually, uh, and then they would go to the port and then the next ship would get sick. And so it must be something infectious. And then somebody ate a lemon or a lime and the whole thing went away because it was scurvy. Yeah, vitamin C. Yeah, same thing happened with pellagra and beriberi. Millions of people died. So bottom line is, is A, that is no way any reputable scientist proves a viral causation. And B, uh, I don't need any more epidemiological observations. I don't need to hear about Aunt Bessie. I agree we should look into infectious causation. The question then is how do you do that? Yeah. Now, here's the next thing. If you ask every lay person and every medical doctor, except maybe some most virologists, they would say you take you know, a bunch of sick people with the same disease, right? Like a hundred of them. And you take some something out of them like blood or mucus or snot or lung fluid, or they have oozing of their skin or something. And you look at it under the microscope and you see identical uh, particles. Remember that a virus is considered to be a thing, right? It's not like a feeling. Like you're not looking for love, right? You're not looking for hatred or fear. You're looking for a particle that you you say you can see under a microscope. Mm -hmm. So you would think that, that they take these 500 people, all with the same symptoms, take some fluid, uh, lung fluid, blood, whatever, look at it under a microscope, purify it so that's all they have, and then expose another set of animals to that purified, isolated virus, and they get sick in the same way, and then you've demonstrated A, a virus, and B, that it causes disease. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the first thing I need to tell your listeners. There is not one reported uh, paper or, or article or journal as submission in the entire medical uh, literature that has successfully done those things for a virus. Not one. At any time in history? At any time in history. Including this one today, coronavirus. Including this one today. Thank you. Now, the people who have admitted that they haven't done that include the CDC and the Robert Koch Institute and approximately 10 different government under the Freedom of Information Act. So there is no doubt. And Mm -hmm. I have spent years looking through the medical literature. There is not one convincing case that you can find a pathogenic virus from the the fluids of any sick person. And if anybody disputes that, they should send me the article and I will correct myself and I guarantee that will not happen. Now, the history of this is uh, once we, once people invented an electron microscope, and by the way, an important point here is it, it's not that you can't isolate or pick, have a picture of something the size of a virus. That has been done with so-called bacteriophages and so-called giant viruses that live in algae. It's been done hundreds of times. You, you see the identical structure, right? Looks mm-hmm. like a 
hexagonal thing or depending which type of phage it is. And, and it has the same genetic material one to the other. And the sequence of the genetic material is identical from one to the other. Mm -hmm. So it's not like it's a technical problem to do this isolation, but they did this for 20 years. We're talking 1930 to 1954, and they never found one pathogenic virus. And the virologist at the time essentially said, there's nothing to this. We, we should all be plumbers and carpenters. Uh, they probably didn't say that, but that's what they should have said. <laughs> Right. But, but somebody came along and saved the day, and his name was John Enders. And he received the Nobel Prize for, for discovering the measles virus and saying that it caused measles. Now, here's what he did. Uh, now, remember, everybody, that what we're doing here, the game we're playing, is we're looking for a piece of genetic material sorry, a piece of protein that has a little bit of genetic material inside it, right? That's the game. So you obviously want to, to not mix any other genetic material into that mixture. Otherwise, there's no way you can know where it came from. Right. So here's what he did. He took the snot of a child with measles, one child, he didn't purify it. He didn't find any virus in it. And he mixed it with milk. Now, that's interesting because milk is a rich source of genetic material. And then he, he, he inoculated that. In other words, he spread that on what are called vero cells, which is monkey kidney tissue. And that's basically kidney tissue from a monkey which also, like every biological material, has a lot of DNA and protein in it. Okay. And then nothing happened. So then he mixed it with bovine fetal serum, uh, horse serum, embryonic fluid, uh, and, what, and soybean trypsin, all of which have genetic material of their own. And then nothing happened. And then he said, what if I take away the nutrients of the culture? In other words, he starved the culture. Mm -hmm. And then nothing happened. And then he added two antibiotics, penicillin and streptomycin. Now we add gentamicin and amphotericin. And interestingly, these are so-called nephrotoxic antibiotics, which means they're poisonous to the kidneys. And so then what happened is the kidney tissue broke down. Now, you might be saying, because I can tell your reaction, wait a minute. And that was proof that the virus killed the kidney tissue. Yeah. But meanwhile, it didn't happen until he starved, poisoned, and added these other four sources of genetic material. Right. And that breaking down of the tissue was the proof that the virus existed and that it causes damage to the tissue. Now, let me say one more thing. Here's where it gets really interesting. Enders actually did a kind of control, which means he did the exact same thing, except he started not with snot, but with nothing. He just took the, the kidney tissue and the serum and the bovine fetal stuff 
and starved it and um, put the antibiotics in. And then he says, and I'll quote here from memory, the, the breakdown particle was indistinguishable from the measles one. In other words, he just proved that the breakdown had nothing to do with the measles. It had everything to do with the culture. Yeah. Now, then he goes on to say, interestingly, by the way, we don't know whether any of these particles are actually from a measles virus, but uh, they may be from the kidney, they may be from the horse serum, they may be from a, the milk. Someday somebody should check that. <laughs> right? So now people could say now it's 63 years later. Uh, and let me read you a quote. Now, nowadays, this breakdown stuff, right, from, you know, whenever you have dead and dying tissue, it breaks down into little particles. Yeah. Now they're called extracellular vesicles or exosomes. In other okay. words, EVs. Okay. The question is, how can you tell that this was a virus, right, pathogen coming from the outside versus the normal decay of the tissue? So here's what in, it was published in Viruses May 2020. So this is a very recent article published in the Journal of Virology called Viruses. And here's what they say, quote, however, to date, a reliable method that can guarantee a separation of EVs, meaning these from, from the tissue, from viruses does not exist. We have no idea whether these particles that you see on this microscope actually just came from the breakdown of the tissue versus from an outside virus. Let me, let me finish with an analogy that I think will make everybody understand, and, and I will use you as a foil if you don't mind. Okay, just don't ask me to do math. There's no math. <laughs> okay. So. I decided that I wanted to look around my neighborhood and, and I was looking for little bits of paper, right? Yeah. On the lawn and the grounds, et cetera. And I mostly don't find any because people don't usually have garbage paper on the outside, but occasionally I find one or two. Then I come back a week later and the house is demolished and there's millions of bits of paper all over the lawn. And I think, what happened here? And, a little, and it, so I have a theory. The bits of paper got into your house, which, by the way, I couldn't find, but they're little ones. They reproduced themselves, blew up your house, and now you have all these reproductions of the piece of paper on your lawn. In other words, Dostoevsky blew up your house. And then a little boy comes by and he says, hey, mister, I saw somebody come with dynamite here and he blew up this house. Uh, now, is that, does that convince you that the paper got into your house and blew up your house? Probably not. Right. That's what we call nonsense. But that is exactly viral theory. They say this SARS-CoV-2 virus, which has never been found, never been isolated. That's according to the CDC. That's according to the 
United States government, National Institute of Health, the government of France and Canada, Australia, mm -hmm. etc. The you know the guy who came up with the PCR test. His name is Christian Drosten. Let me read what he said. The people actually admit this. Like this was a paper on the on the development of the PCR test. He said. We aim to develop and deploy robust diagnostic methodology for use in public health laboratories without having virus material available. So if anybody can explain to me how you can do a test that detects a piece of a virus that you've never actually had seen or had available and you've never analyzed it I mean, I would love to hear how that works. It's like saying, you know, you find a piece of a hoof and that must be from a unicorn. And somebody says, have you ever seen a unicorn? You say, no. And you say, well, how do you know it's from a unicorn? And then you come up with these complex, you know, computer models of what you think a unicorn should look like, mm -hmm. which is exactly what they do. And then they convince the whole world that there's some science behind this. Right. So... So how, um, and I'm just going to bring this up because I know a lot of people are familiar with um, Louis Pasteur. So how, so supposedly like the father of this germ theory, um, how do, why when he ultimately admitted that all of his 40 years of testing to find viruses was an utter um, failure, how yeah, he is- He find viruses. He, he, they couldn't see viruses then. He was looking at bacteria. Bacteria. So, so, but we've got this whole foundation of of uh, of this theory and and everything that is built on it that is like moving full steam ahead. Even though, to your point, there's nobody across the globe has proven that there is that there's this virus, and so now we have a non a non thing. There's an it that's not really an it. I mean, here's my here's my frustration. I mean, there's lots of them, but if if they don't know exactly precisely what the sickness is and how it came to be, how can they develop an injection of stuff that supposedly will will help you or protect you in some way? If the if the it hasn't been identified, then how can there be an anti-it? See, you're, you're presuming that the, the goal of this injectable device is to help people. <laughs> Thank and you. I don't know that you, I, I would love to see the proof of that. Me too. Right. Me too. Because they clearly say this has no, this, this has nothing to do with coming from any virus that they've mm -hmm. admittedly never isolated. And if you haven't isolated it, you don't know the genetic makeup of it. You can't possibly say there's variants. You can't possibly prove that it causes any disease because how can you, how can you say that if you don't even have the thing? Mm -hmm. And here's the thing, they admit it. And there is no published paper of isolating a pathogenic virus, meaning disease-causing virus, from any sick person. Every single isolation experiment, and there are thousands of published papers 
saying isolation of the novel SARS-CoV-2 virus. Every single one of them was done by that method, that viral culture method I just described. And that so is a scientific fraud, period. And that how can you say that's isolated when you have no idea whether those particles are even coming from somewhere else or just the breakdown of the tissue? And mm -hmm. because you can actually prove that they are the breakdown of the tissue. Viruses are genetic garbage. <laughs> they and the same reason why if you explode your house, you find millions of bits of paper. Now, I would admit that you could tell a little bit about the person by if they have little scraps of paper with Dostoevsky's name as opposed to the New York Times, right? right? right. Uh, you could say this person is smarter than the other person, um, but that's it. You it doesn't mean the New York Times or the Dostoevsky blew up your house. Right. And so I'm not saying you don't find pieces of genetic material. That's just normally what happens when you break down tissues and it's happening all the time. And mm -hmm. obviously the people who are sicker have a accelerated breakdown. That's yeah. all there is to it. There's no virome, there's no viral ecosystem. There's no nothing. It's just garbage. And we've spent trillions of dollars studying garbage. There must be a, um, there must be a, somebody has a reason for that though. I mean, I, I, I tend not to get into speculating about motives of people I don't know. Sure. So it could be a misconception. <laughs> I mean, you could know, be. It yeah. Could be, uh, it could be that they just failed to do actual control experiments. Although, by the way, a group that I'm with of doctors and scientists, we are going to do control experiments and we are going to show the world once and for all that, interestingly, you can take the the snot from somebody with COVID, do it, put it through a tissue culture, like I just described, mm -hmm. and then reconstruct the genome. So, and say this person had measles or smallpox or polio or any other RNA virus you want, because all the sequences are in there. All of them are coming from the breakdown of our own genetic material and every sequence there is, is found in that brew. And that should be the end of it, although maybe it won't be. I mean, I'll speculate, um, probably not, but hey, that's just my opinion. So, okay, so first of all, I'm so happy that you just said you and a group of others are going to do that. Um, that will be amazing. It would be great to have somebody actually, that's, I mean, that was one of my questions. Why hasn't anybody, why doesn't, or maybe they have, but why hasn't anyone done this so that we can all hear about it and know about it? Um, so I'm, I'm glad that you actually answered that before I could ask. So talk to me about the relationship or the connection between bacteria and exosomes and viruses. I mean, are viruses getting actually getting a bad rap? Are they, I mean, are they a thing? Are they not? How are these things connected? Well, 
there, there isn't really a relationship between bacteria and viruses or exosomes. Okay. Um, except for when you stress bacteria in a laboratory, they they form a spore form or a, a protective form that's called a bacteriophage. And and we used to think that these bacteriophages eat eat our viruses that eat bacteria. But now we know that's just what happens. It's it's like a you know a spore that if you if you threaten the species, it forms a protective form. The importance of bacteriophages is they're the same size and morphology as a so-called virus. And so they're they're easy to isolate, they're easy to characterize, they all have the same exact genetic material, the same sequence. So anybody's argument that the reason we can't find this uh, virus is because you can't find a virus like that is it's nonsense. They also say the reason you can't find a virus is because it's only an intracellular pathogen. In other words, it's only in the cell. But then you ask them, well, how does it get from one person to another? And mm -hmm. they said, well, it gets out of the cell and then it goes to the next person. And you say, oh. wait a minute, I thought you just said it doesn't go out of the cell. Why don't you find it then? Well, it's not there very long. So why don't you get somebody and every five minutes he takes a sample? Uh, so the whole thing is nonsense. Now, the, the problem with, so the issue with bacteria is, so you get a sore, you get something happen, you get a sore throat, mm -hmm. your tonsil tissue starts dying. And then what happens is the bacteria that are always there come and eat the dead and dying tissue in your tonsils. It's the same thing that happens with bacteria everywhere else in nature. Mm -hmm. you, you, you cut down a tree and then the tree falls, and then the fungus and the bacteria eat the tree. No human being says, oh, the tree has an infection, uh, because that's ridiculous. In fact, without the fungus and the bacteria recycling dead matter, there would be no life on Earth. So that is what they do in us. So you get poisoned in some ways, or starved, just like the cultures, and then they get an injury to the tissue, it starts breaking down, and then the bacteria come to help clean up the mess. And unfortunately, the doctors are confused and think you have an infection. It's similar to if you go to a place that has a fire, and then next thing you know, you have a bunch of firemen there, no sensible person says, you see, that proves the firemen caused the fire. Uh, just because they're there, and even you can kill the bacteria and sometimes the symptoms will go away. Um, and, and that's only because the bacteria are part of the resolution process. And inevitably it happens again and again and again, and then you get sicker and sicker. And next thing you know, you have chronic tonsillitis. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's a very predictable sequence of events that happens because of a phony conception of the role of bacteria. So that has happened for 150 years, ever since the Pasteur fraud, where he claimed that he could transfer, he could isolate bacteria and cause disease, and he couldn't. There is no case that a isolated, purified bacteria causes disease given in the normal way to a healthy animal or person. And if anybody disputes that, 
they should send me the article because after years of looking, I can't find one. Uh, so then we move on to viruses because there was a lot of diseases where they couldn't find a bacteria. So they said there must be something smaller than a bacteria that we can't see. And so they called it virus meaning poison. And they said, see, there must be something thinking they'll never find it, but nobody will catch on. And then eventually they developed a microscope to find it and it wasn't there. And then the whole story that I just said in the beginning. Right. So, you know, this has been a 150 year scientific fraud, essentially, which now why do people believe it? I mean, <laughs> well, we shouldn't speculate, right? <laughs> right. I mean, you know, there's it's there's a certain thing that makes sense. Like I got sick and then my friend got sick. And I'm not saying people in the same place don't get sick. Mm -hmm. But anybody who thinks that the only thing that's passed between humans must be a virus. Uh, first of all, I'd love to hear an explanation of if you put 20, 20 year old women in a cabin for a year, they all menstruate at the same time. Mm -hmm. As far as I know, nobody is claiming that's a virus. Right. And, and if you go into a room and you smile a lot, typically a lot of the other people get happier and smile. As far as I know, nobody has proven that that's a virus. Mm -hmm. So what we have is an extremely impoverished view of reality. Uh, it's basically materialism. And, you know, that's unfortunately a flawed theory because I would love to see the double blind study that proves that living beings are only made of matter. As far as I know, it doesn't exist. I have never seen anything that claims that that's true. So, well, as the far as... absolutely claim that's true. <laughs> Um, well, that's the foundation of modern medicine. And hmm. if you dare say that there's something besides physical matter, even though the physicists say, well, if you look at matter, it's either a particle, which is a little thing, even though the little thing is mostly space, or it's a wave, which is no thing at all. And the thing, the thing that determines which one of those it is, is actually whether you look at it or not. Now, how a thing that's a wave becomes a foot, I mean, that's a, that's a problem. <laughs> I don't know the answer to that problem, but I know, I know that we are made of waves. We are mm -hmm. essentially uh, congealed energy. Yeah. And there's no room in this for these particles called viruses to make us sick. They are simply debris made from the breakdown of the tissue when you starve or poison it. Okay. So if, so obviously people are going to say, well, if it's not that, then how are, how is everyone across the globe catching this? And uh, my thought is catching anything. They're just getting <laughs> sick. Yes, but that that's the that's the thought is I'm catching something. That's what people think. I'm going to catch something. I've caught something. All of those people over there caught something. And I don't I, I subscribe to to, you know, everything that they you put sell their baseball mitt then. <laughs> so, so how do we so I mean, 
my belief as a holistic health coach and a, and a health nut for 40 years is, is that when you have a population of people that have decade after decade been getting, as the world advances in so many ways, health has gone the opposite way. So we have a lot of we have predominantly an un unhealthy population. So they're vulnerable to whatever. So that brings me to, let's, let's just talk for a minute then about possible causes. If it's not a virus that people are getting, what are some of the things that you think could be a factor? So the first thing I would say is whenever I answer that question, I start by saying, so we agree that it can't possibly be a virus. I that, say, yes, I agree. Yeah. So everybody out there, they should agree. We know it's not a virus. Now, here's the problem. 99.9% .9 of the research for the last 150 years has been uh, funding towards uh, finding viruses or associated, quote, genetic problems. There is no funding, there is no studies on looking at toxic and nutritional influences and even delusions and thinking patterns and mm -hmm. consciousness. So then when they say, well, Tom, you don't have proper studies that show why people are getting sick, the answer, of course, is I don't have them because nobody's doing the studies. Mm -hmm. So that's one. That's the first thing. Now, in order to so, therefore, I have to speculate. Now, here's what I think: it's the same as the viral cultures. How do you make how do you make a a, a viral culture die? You starve and poison it. How do you make a human being sick? You starve and poison them. So you eat poor food, which all Americans, all people all over the world do. The food is, is GMO'd and sprayed with glyphosate and, you know, genetically engineered garbage. Yeah. So that's starving. And then you introduce glyphosate and you spray chemicals in the air and you have horrible water and you <clears throat> put them in electromagnetic fields like a microwave and you keep doing these things over and over. And then you put people in masks so that they can't breathe. And then you inject them with, with the results of these tissue cultures, which is otherwise known as a vaccine. And that makes them really sick. And then they say, see, they got sick. <laughs> not surprising. No, it's not. So talk for a minute, if you will, about um, what is the most important thing for uh, for people to understand about water. You talked about water and I know like, you know, here in the States anyway, we all, most people are under the impression that they're, they're drinking water or at least the water they're buying in the stores is great or it's, it's safe. And if it's not great, it's at least safe. So what, what is important for them to understand about water with regards to our body composition as well as the water that we drink? So, you know, and I can only briefly touch on this, but when you start to realize, and for anybody who's a scientifically minded or oriented or any medical profession, I just want to say right now that until you read the work of Gilbert Ling and Harold Hillman, or, and you can watch YouTube videos of them, 
explaining the biology of what a living organism is made of, then you are, are laboring under extremely false misconception or kind of misconceptions about the nature of what a human being is. Now, the reason I say that is because Hillman in particular has proven that here is a list of things which, are, which don't exist in a human being. A lipid bilayer cell, uh, cell membrane, receptors in cell membranes. By the way, about 60 to 80% of the drugs are work on receptors in cell membranes, like opiate receptors and serotonin receptors. I can tell you now, Hillman proves these receptors do not exist, do not exist at all. Uh, ribosomes do not exist. They're the place where uh, the RNA is supposedly made into protein, do not exist. Let me give you an example of that. Every ribosome picture on an electron microscope is a perfect circle. Now, just to say the way you get an electron microscope picture is you take living tissue, you kill it, you freeze it to 150 degrees, you put it in an enzyme bath, you dye it with heavy metals, you shoot a beam at it to get rid of the electron, the water, and then you look at it under a microscope. That has no relation to anything that you see in real life. But let's say it does. So you see this round circles inside the cytoplasm. Now, in order for it to be a round circle, it must have been a sphere in real life, right? Mm -hmm. Now, when you realize that the tissue was put into a blender, which sliced it into a million pieces, now think about it. If you took an orange and put it in your blender, uh, what are the chances that every piece of that orange would be a perfect circle? <laughs> Pretty much none. Zero. Zero. Therefore, that thing that's a circle couldn't possibly exist. It's an artifact of the way that the tissue was, was processed. So, and I could go on, but we don't have time. So there's endoplasmic reticulum, Golgi apparatus, etc. At the end of the day, the only thing you can demonstrate a living tissue is made of is, is a very thin membrane organized water like jello, it's in a gel phase. There's some minerals, there's some proteins, there's some amino acids, there's a mitochondria and there's a nucleus which has some genetic material in it. And that is it. Everything else that you've heard is just essentially an artifact of the way we process it. And therefore what we're talking about here is the water in your tissue is acting essentially like the radio receiver. It forms itself into a gel and the gel accepts signals from the outside in the form of electromagnetic waves and information. And then it changes its configuration to actually de novo make proteins and make life. So the quality of your water and it does this in conjunction with proteins and fats and, and minerals. So if you don't have any magnesium, you make a wonky out of tune radio, which then doesn't hear the right information and you mm -hmm. can't make it into a song. And the idea that the, like I was driving with a 
four-year-old friend of mine and an interview of mine came on the radio and he said, Tom, how did you get into that radio? And I said, <laughs> right. That's what doctors think. They think your brain makes thoughts, which is nonsense. Your brain is 80% water. Mm -hmm. It's organized as a receiver, which is what water does. It accepts input from the sun and the moon and Jupiter and the earth and your dog and your best friend and everything else. Mm -hmm. And it creates a organizational structure called life. And therefore, the purity and the quality of your water, which is the key ingredient of this, is everything. And every bottled water, more or less, every tap water is dead, poisoned, denatured water that has no structure in it and can't support life. And that is a huge reason why basically everybody is sick. Okay. And so that... And so uh, I want to just tie this into, in the few minutes we have left, um, as best you can, about EMFs and the electromagnetic fields and why that, how that connects with the, our, the structured water that our cells are supposed to be made of, that we have in our bodies. So we're all, if, we, if we're basically water and, and, what I don't, I don't remember what the human body is over 70% water or it's different. 99.9% of the molecules are water <clears throat> the, by volume. It's 70% in most tissues and 80% in your brain. So that being said, and if, if our, if our cells are like little, you know, electromagnetic grids, how are we being affected then by EMFs? all of all of the technology that's being you know put in place across the globe so the way to think of it is just what i said so the water using minerals and proteins and amino acids which is like the internal structure like mm -hmm. water won't won't form a gel unless it has a protein to form on so you need collagen proteins you need proteins and they need minerals so then you form this gel which is then flexible and is a downloading information. Now, the information that it wants to download is the, is the electromagnetic field of the natural world, which is broad spectrum and non-pulsed, right? It's just, it's just a, a, ba a bath of light from the sun and the moon and your best friend, mm -hmm. et cetera. Now that's what a human being is. You take those inputs and you create that essentially life out of that. Now, when you make it a non-native electromagnetic field, in order for it to do something like a radio wave, it has to be not this broad spectrum, non-pulsed frequency, because that doesn't make a radio work. So you make it one frequency or a few, and you make it pulse and you make it high intensity. And then when the receiver picks that up and it makes a song. So that's how radio works. The problem is biological organisms were never meant to be bathed in that, those sort of frequencies. So it, it deteriorates the structure of the water. And then when the deteriorated structure, then you have to have bacteria come to, to 
essentially remodel it. And when it breaks down, then you see, quote, viruses. Now, as time has gone on, we get more and more intense, pulsed, high energy frequencies that do more and more damage, destructuring of the water until the water is basically a puddle. Now, you can see this in your knee, for instance. So why do we get osteoarthritis? That's, we have normally these two crystalline gels called bursa, which are always negatively charged, and they line the inner capsule of the knee. And because they're, they're gels, they have a smooth movement, and because they're negatively charged, they repel each other. And then you have a good knee. And then you put toxins in there or electromagnetic fields, you scramble the water, you lose the charge, the bones stick together, and then they create swelling, which is dead fluid water. And now the doctor says you, has, you have osteoarthritis. Mm -hmm. What you have is scrambled uh, water. And then if you look at all the water that you drink, it's all no, no energy, no structure, no minerals, just a whole bunch of toxins like fluoride and chloramines and chloride and microplastics and pharmaceutical drugs and Prozac and <laughs> hormones. And they're all in every municipal water supply and the municipal water supply people have no interest or ability to get them out. And that's what you're drinking. And it's no wonder you turn into a puddle called arthritis and swelling in your legs. Yeah. Wow. So, um, I mean, <laughs> do you think then that we can, I don't see any, any likelihood of some of this, the electromagnetic related technology like 5g and all this stuff that's being rolled out that's been being rolled out i don't see that being rolled back what is the likelihood that we can adapt or what do we need to what can we leave people with to tell them how they can start to build up their immune systems you know become healthier i mean obviously you know your diet and and the right we don't kind of have an immune system. <laughs> well, well, is that like a whole other podcast? We don't have an immune system. I can't if, leave people with that. If you, if you, if you, if there are no bacterial or viral infections, what do you need an immune system for? Oh, you, the so-called immune system is just a detoxification mechanism. So can every every individual's detoxification method uh, system be eroded though and destroyed, right? If they're not eating yes. properly, right? Yeah. So, so the answer then is you have to be extremely cognizant then of everything that you're eating and drinking because you're affecting your ability to adapt, I guess, to what's going on in our environment. You know, I would have given a different answer to this a year ago. Uh, if you had said, what's the most toxic things for people, I would have said things like water and vaccines and, you know, pharmaceutical drugs and glyphosate and aluminum. And, you know, there's all I could go a whole long list GMO stuff. 
but I, I've actually, as a result of this past year, I've changed my opinion. Ooh. And so, and this is what I'm going to leave people with. Okay. See, the other thing, the good thing about not being a doctor anymore is I don't have to pretend to give people hope, <laughs> right? Because uh, like, I, because I'm not sure uh, where this is going, mm-hmm. but, but, my, but what I have come to is the most toxic thing that you're exposed to is your thoughts. In other words, most Americans, people everywhere in the world, really, they're, for lack of a better word, delusional. Mm-hmm. I don't know what else, how else to say it. It's as if they're living in a virus cult. Mm-hmm. And I could tell you what water to drink and what to do and, you know, to go outside with bare feet and get in the sun. And you should do all those things. And you should never eat anything that's GMO or sprayed with glyphosate. And, you know, I could go on and I've written books and, you know, have all kinds of of products that help people with that. Today, uh, if you don't learn to see that you are a spiritual being using a material substance, mostly Mm -hmm. water, to have an experience of something called life, then there's no chance you're going to overcome this. Yeah. No chance. And so there's nothing to say to that, to that person, except good luck. because (laughs) I, I hear you. And I I think that's really a a great way to um, a great thing to leave people with because now, you know, the, the placebo effect is a powerful thing. Um, So, you know, to your point, what you're thinking is is really important the thoughts that you're dwelling on the space that you're living in in your mind as opposed to your brain to your point earlier your thoughts aren't coming from your brain they're coming from your mind which has nothing to do really with your brain um and so i think that we have to at least you know tell people who are in such a state of fear Give them, giving them some hope, at like, well, maybe, you know, if I at least up-level this aspect of my life, if I up-level my diet, if I change my water, you know, if they do all of the, the common sense things that just should be done out of respect for your body anyway, that, that can take them at least a long way in the right direction. Um, the belief in the power of those things could be helpful for them, right? Don't you? Be, do you think to to help get them, to help so get them? The good the good news is if you change your water, and I, you know I've written about that, and you will change your ability to think. And so it, there is a feedback system here. Mm-hmm. So. Maybe it's not hopeless. Yes, but it's not you hopeless. Participate no. too. Right. You cannot. You are not a victim. You are not a passive uh, bystander in this in this amazing process called mm-hmm. life. You have sovereignty. You have agency in this, and you have choice. Nobody right now is forcing anybody to believe anything or get any kind of test or any kind of injection. It may happen and it may happen soon, but right now not. And so people have to change their mind. 
once they change their mind, hopefully they will act differently. And then this spell will be broken and then we can get on with living human lives. I love that. Here, here. So, so let's, uh, let's leave people with that wonderful thought about changing their minds and you can change your life. And I think the other thing that I really want to stress that you just mentioned is, um, choice. And, and that's like the most, most valuable thing that we have right now. And we want to make sure that we don't lose that that ability to make those choices for ourselves. And so it's one of the, you know, reasons that I am so, so delighted that you have, like many others, you have to risk your reputation, you have to go rogue, right, to be able to speak out against the current that is, you know, the, the fire hose that's being blasted out at everybody right now. And most of that, what's contained in that fire hose has nothing to do with with anything that you just said it's it's all of the dogma and and i think that you know this spell that people are under um has them either not believing they're going to lose choices or believing that that's okay because they don't really wrap their heads around the ultimate ramifications of losing their choices so it's really important um it's of the utmost important right now for for us to think about that and and for you to be doing the work that you're doing thank you because i know you were thinking you were going to retire not long ago and probably work in your garden and now, now you're doing a, a lot of other things that you probably didn't see coming a year and a half ago right i mean it's it, it just is what it is and it's, just deal with it well, thank you for dealing with it, Tom. And thank you so much for spending all of this time with us today. Before I let you go, um, where's the best place for people to find you or find out more about what you're up to? Uh, we have a website, Dr. Tom Cowan, C-O-W-A-N.com. And uh, if people could sign up for our subscribe star, so that's where we're putting more and more information because we're being hassled, so to speak. Uh, so. <laughs> Uh, that's really what we're driving for, and we have all kinds of interviews and, and question and answers and, and all kinds of things coming up, and so if people could join us, that would be wonderful. That's awesome. And we'll put that in the show notes too. And I think if you're ruffling feathers and uh, rubbing people the wrong way and getting hassled, uh, you know you're on the right track, right? You know you're onto something. So. I, uh, I am so grateful. Thank you for the time today. And, uh, and I will be watching everything that you do. So God Thank bless you. you. Thank you. All right. Thanks everybody for spending time with uh, Dr. Tom Cowan and I today. Surely we have given you some food for thought that can help you make the decisions that are best for you and your family. Share this show, spread the good shift around you guys. If you find value in it, please give it a rating and share it with everybody that you know. Um, write a review, it inspires other people to listen to it. We have to spread all of this around. Stay feisty, my friends, stay healthy, stay open and go make some epic shift happen in your lives. I'll see you next week. Oh, that goes for you too, Gary Vee. <laughs>